Welcome to the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I'm your host, Jason Dubray, and this is episode 70. And way back in episode 50, in uh, one of the uh, segments I had, at Carmelita Valdez McCoy, who uh, we had a really great discussion there. I think it was uh, The Addiction and Antlers, wasn't it? It yeah, was. Those were the two we talked about in that show. Uh, feels like a long time ago, yet it was only 20 episodes ago. <laughs> and, um, we have you here for the 70th, and this is kind of marking a point when I'm going to be trying some different things, as I mentioned in the last episode, uh, with the show, and maybe doing a few less reviews, um, and maybe trying a different kind of a scoring system here. Still with the idea that at points I'll I'll be losing movies from my, my collection here. So, um Great person to test this idea out with, and uh, uh, just how are you doing, just in general here, before we uh, get into our a rather interesting topic. Uh, yes, uh, yes, exploiting <laughs> a term that you taught me or told me about, and uh, I, I have not it. heard of it before, so I can't wait to talk <laughs> about that. But how how are you doing in general? I'm. Excellent, Jason. It's so good to be back on the Shelf Shedding Movie Show and talking movies with you. Yeah, all is well in the world. Yeah, that's great to hear. You know, and I I think uh, as far as the movie world, things are, things are good. There are some really awesome new movies that are coming out, lots to watch. And I'm so happy that the writer's strike is done and the yes. strike and... The protections have been put in place of some what I thought were some pretty dangerous things that were potentially going to happen to cinema. I was I was thinking I'm going to be like hauled up in some bunker with all of my DVDs and Blu-rays watching <laughs> the last films that were made by human beings if if things weren't successful. So uh, I know there'll be like a stretch of time next year where there's like nothing that's coming out, um, but I think it was it was it was worth it. Again, I'm. Definitely worth it. And yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I it, it's, it's interesting. We kind of need the studios and, and, and the money to get these movies out. But we also finding these rather cruel ways to cost, you know, to, you know, make billionaires even more, even more rich, I think is. Yes. Really, uh, it was really kind of disturbing what I was envisioning. So. Absolutely. No. And it's, you know, something like the film industry it's that intersection of art meets finance <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and and in today's day and age you know these big corporations that own these studios and streaming platforms and and it's that it's that balance of how do you preserve the integrity of the art form and value the artists that work in the medium but you still need the distributors. You still need the studios. So it's, yeah, it's, I got to say, if there's a little lull next year in new stuff coming out because of the strike this year, that's okay. Because mm -hmm. I have a lot of catching up to do. A lot of great yes. movies came out this year and it's been kind of a weird year for me. I haven't gotten out to the theater much this year. So I have a lot of catching up to do. It's going to take me a while. Me too. Uh, the theater, you know, and I mean, I I get these memberships to the, the you know more than one movie theater chain, and then I, I have these free movies each month or or discount movies, and I don't seem to be getting there uh, a whole lot. 
yet it's weird the ones that I've seen in the theater this year. I have seen some of like the bigger releases, but I saw like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, and and the Meg Two. I saw those <laughs> randomly in the summer. Um, but yeah, there's compared to like even a year ago. I just haven't been out to the movie theater as much as I would like. And every time I go, I'm like, what? why don't I do this more often? I mean, you know, uh, cost is also a big thing, but I, but I definitely, I have, I, I have all of these reward things. I have a, a credit card, which builds up these points so I can go to free movies. Yeah. So, um, but I, I, I'm hoping I can get to, uh, um, some of these new ones. I, there, there are a few that I've watched through streaming, of course. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, of course I had to see Scorsese's, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. I had to see that on the big screen because you know. Nice. I I haven't I haven't been to see it. Here's the thing, and mm-hmm. this is not going to turn into a diatribe about runtimes because I think Scorsese makes a film the length he makes it because that's the length he needs to tell the story. Yeah. But it can sometimes be challenging schedule wise. Sure is. For me to carve out the time to go to a theater to do it that way. So. Yeah. Three and a half hours is a is a big commitment, and that's what I keep running into when I talk to people, and I I recommend it. I mean, Mr. Scorsese doesn't need my recommendation necessarily, <laughs> um, nor do uh, this amazing cast and everybody involved with it. But that is the that is the barrier that people are coming up, and I'm saying, well, you know, it's if you if you have if you have Apple Plus, I think fairly soon it's going to be available, and maybe. It's one that people can watch at home and they can take their breaks and, and, and everything and you're, you know, watching parts. I, I, what I liked about it is that when I went to the theater, I, I, it forced me to watch the story beginning to end. I honestly didn't, uh, didn't feel the running time, uh, because I got so, so into the story. Yeah. We were so engaged. Yeah. And I, I think that's just when I'm there, but. Yeah, even now I, I kind of am like, okay, can I? This is pretty much my night if I'm going to do this. Yes. And I also have to feel like I can't be coming home tired from work and like, okay, I'm going to go go uh, go see this. I've I've tried to go to some movies sometimes when I've been tired, and then I start to get a little bit. Uh, you know, I never thought I would see the yeah. day where I'd be like, you know, well, it's sleepy while I'm in a public <laughs> movie theater, but here it happens sometimes. But yeah, fortunately, I mean, I guess I picked the right day and whatever to, to nice. go there. And I just thought, I, I want to see it now. Because um, I honestly, I didn't know in this world that we're in, if it's going to have a long theatrical run or not. And I didn't see The Irishman in, in the theater. But I remember watching, I actually didn't know the length of The Irishman when I started watching it. <laughs> I tried not to, you know, know much about it. And I was starting to feel like, yeah, this is a long one, but this is so good. This is so good. And then and then when I looked at it, it was like, oh wow, that was a nearly four hour movie. That yeah. I just, one no stops, <laughs> just you know, I just watched straight it at through. home. Yeah, straight through as I was so into it. So yeah. And I just kind of think, you know, I don't know how many more movies we'll get from Martin Scorsese and some of these these great filmmakers. This so. is true. I hate to think about it, but that's the reality. Well, starting to get a little bit scary. Enjoy it while we can. The good news is he says he's not like Quentin Tarantino. He couldn't possibly retire. He's got just too many ideas. And so I think he's, this, uh, this won't be the last we hear 
from him. But uh, oh, he's, I love him. he's 80 now. De Niro's 80. And, you know, that's uh, so. Yeah. Anyway, I, you know, I'm not, not surprised that I, I would be recommending that movie. But there's some other really good ones out there, too. So, yeah. And as I've been saying, I, I've been doing a lot of list episodes recently. And probably mm-hmm. more to come. I'm going to do a Discovery show. We were talking about uh, everybody should listen to, to Film Feast and Matt's show. There, I'll do the early endorsement for it there. Um, and that he's going to have a couple of Discoveries episodes. Yeah. Um, and uh, I did one for the first time last year. And I really enjoyed that idea of, oh, these ones that have been blind spots that I haven't seen. And just kind of putting that together. And I think I had a, a much bigger list for this year than I have for an actual top 10 list for the movies of 2023. Um, yeah. Doing that, but I'm going to be doing that. I'll be doing Oscar shows and things over the next little while too, but I will also have some traditional shows, but this is one where we're, uh, we're supposed to only be talking about two movies, but we need to go <laughs> back. To, uh, I, I, again, probably a few episodes ago, uh, which has actually been a long time since we last talked, but uh, with our Elizabeth Taylor, um, uh, episode and at the end of it because it was a digital film that was the movie that supposed to leave my collection um and i don't really think i have a way of doing that or if i do i'm not technologically smart enough to know how to to remove a digital (laughs) movie but uh we had been talking about the fact i had not seen butterfield eight uh which was the other movie that uh in the first oscar that elizabeth taylor won for and so you said as my punishment you said at the time i don't Think you didn't think it'd be a punishment. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't be for me. Late. But uh, <laughs> and and so here here's what I'd say: it wasn't much of a punishment, but there were two things. One thing is I, I couldn't seem to find Fairfield Eight in Canada for some reason. I don't know really? if there's some weird distribution thing. So I I had to. It's you know, I was looking where it was available. I had to like Google Play. Right. Speaking of corporations there, um, it has it, but not in Canada, but in the United States. So I had to find a way to trick my technology into believing that I was in the United States of America. <laughs> and that's how I managed to watch Butterfield 8. So I nice. watched it very recently. Um, so we'll talk about that a little bit and then we'll get into exploitation. Uh, and we're going to take a look at two classic movies that were blind spots for me. So the three movies we're going to end up talking about, these were all recent watches. So this is... I love know, that. This is one of my favorite things. Yeah. So these will be very fresh takes on them. Um, maybe not popular takes. <laughs> coming from That's okay. My end, but uh, it should be make for a good conversation. But we should... We'll start with Butterfield 8 as uh, as a bonus review. know what I've been doing. No, I don't want to hear that. Mama, you have to. Oh, face it, Mama. I was a slut. If only you'd done that before. Long ago, every time I came home, all soaked through with gin. Gloria. Huh? Sure. Oh, she's, she's frantic, isn't she? Well, welcome to the fraternity. We meet once a year in Yankee Stadium. 
you act like a man who's expecting his wife back in town. Look, Glory, I, I have to spend at least tonight with her. A good night's sleep will be the best thing for you. of opening that door every other day and finding you boozed up, burned out, and ugly. Why do you come here like this? Where have I always come, Steve? At least I can be honest with you. Do you love her? That woman you were with? I seem to. But you fought over her and sent her away in a rage. And I hated her unreasonably because I couldn't stand the thought of losing her. May I say something to you? Sure. Say something sexy. Something that always got the boys headed straight for the motel. No. You're a joke. A dirty joke from one end of this town to the other. Elizabeth Taylor is a call girl, and when the film starts, uh, she's felt quite insulted by this uh, this gentleman she was with the night before, who tries to leave her this money, and she decides to steal this man's wife's um, fur coat, mink coat, as an act of revenge, and to like send some messages through Butterfield Eight, is through the operating service to get her messages, but also how she would be connecting to her, her clients. Um, and it, it was interesting. And this is one of two movies we're going to talk about where I think the, the backstory of it, I might argue, is more interesting than the film itself. Elizabeth Taylor, we, we had talked about um, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And the original plan, that was supposed to be her last movie. Her and her husband were, you know, she was going to retire from movies and go off, and I, I don't know what. Um, but then he died, and then she was in such bad health and such a struggle through that movie. But MGM came up to her and said, well, you owe us one more movie, and that was Butterfield 8, and she was furious about it. And to the point where, you know, I mean, the legend is she never once talked to the director um, through the filming of it, and she hated the movie. She thought the movie was kind of beneath her as far as, you know, playing uh, a sex worker. And then, then she wins an Academy Award um, <laughs> for a movie that she hated doing. And, and she was kind of saying she feels that she got the Academy Award because people felt sorry for her because she had been ill. So that's why the Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf Oscar meant so much more to her. And it was a role that she thought she it really deserved for my my opinion is I I feel like this is kind of a at points sometimes a predictable melodrama with you know actually kind of unlikable characters and sometimes that's okay. There's some movies where I, where I where I like that. Big part of what we reason that we were talking about this was Lawrence Harvey, who mm -hmm. I was not very nice to. And I've now not been very nice to in two reviews on my show. And 
he's three for three because unfortunately <laughs> this one did not win me over with him. I, I kept, I think he's supposed to be playing an American. I kept kind of, and I, I, it's a, it's a cheap criticism. I mean, that the dialect is not everything, but when I, when I first heard, I was like, Oh, okay. He's okay. He's British. But then the scenes after that was, Oh, oh he's not supposed to be British. Okay. So that kind of had me. And then, I don't, I don't for any moment, you know, start to believe there's this kind of this love story between them. I, I just, I feel like it could be, if it was like full on dark, which they probably couldn't have done at that time. Right. Um, if it was like a leaving Las Vegas type of a dynamic, um, then that might've worked really well. But here I just didn't want to spend any time on this romance or, or, or them together. I mean, anytime they were separated, I, I like the scenes with Elizabeth Taylor and Eddie Fisher, um, mm. who like, grew up with her and was very protective, which was interfering with his own relationship uh, because she would just come in with her dramatics and sleep over and, you know, uh, and, and to me that, that, that story was kind of, was a little bit more interesting and it did lead to the best scene in the movie. Uh, but yeah, I, I, and I, I thought it all, okay, this is going to end in a very predictable, melodramatic, tragic way and spoilers for the end. Sure it does. It does. <laughs> now the, it would have been like a full, like, uh, shed it from my shelf if I had it, um, and not regret it for a moment. <clears throat> if it wasn't for, I think there's, there's a monologue. There's a scene um, towards the third act with Taylor giving us this monologue about what happened to her as a young girl yes. after she lost her father. Man, if the entire movie was as great as that scene, then there would be no doubt I'd be raw, raw Butterfield 8. And even if she was like not putting her all into it, she did something with that scene. And I don't know if that was part of some rewrites that she wanted made or what, but <clears throat> excuse me but that was one of the great scenes i've i've seen in her career acting wise yeah. and so if she won the oscar because of that scene i sort of get it this was the same year as the apartment so i think shirley mcclain mm -hmm. is still who i think probably should have won best actress but i had all but given up on this movie until that scene happened with her and Eddie Fisher. And so that scene, it's still kind of, I would, I would, I would shed it from my shelf, but that was the reward. That was the, it wasn't nice. that much of a punishment because of that scene alone <laughs> nearly, nearly saved the movie. And I thought, Oh, here we go. This is going to be thumbs up. Yes. And then things happen after that scene, which are just so bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um so i feel like i and I'm, I'm starting off being mean here but i no I, no no yeah you're being honest now here's the thing about butterfield eight yeah. elizabeth taylor wasn't the only person that hated this a lot of people did <laughs> a lot of people do a lot of people do not like butterfield eight <laughs> why do i love it so much it's hard to put my finger on it, really. I think there's an element of camp almost to this film. 
I think it's some of that that melodrama and Elizabeth Taylor. This this movie in a lot of of senses is like it's for me it's the mood and the style mm-hmm. more than you know how does how is the substance although i do think it does touch on some things it tries to it starts yeah. to touch on some things about how her character ended up doing the work she's doing mm-hmm. and the trauma in her past and the family dynamics that have shaped who she is and why, why would she think she's in love with this man? You know, it kind of touches on that. And it's funny that you mentioned if it had gone darker, like leaving Las Vegas, because the book that this is based on Mm -hmm. written by John O'Hara is kind of like, well, it's John O'Hara. Oh, he's yeah. Yeah. Great writer. If the book is kind of like a, roaring 20s leaving las vegas in a lot in a sense a darker tone to the book and yeah yeah, i think i think they they went as far as they could for the time well i think it was pretty far for the time yes right yes yeah um and so i don't complete i wouldn't criticize it for they, they couldn't go where you know in the reality of things they would go. Yes. For some reason, I was also bringing up, even though I, I I like this movie. Some people really don't like this movie, but I I, I the movie I'm going to mention I like better, Pretty Woman. Um, okay. Which sure. is again a, a fairy tale. Um, but I kept thinking to myself, now I'm at the age where I'm making, I'm in my head about the criticisms that that Pretty Woman received is like, okay, like if you if you are, you know, a a hooker at you know in <clears throat> or a sex worker in 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 Los Angeles, you're not going to be looking like Julia Roberts was in that movie. Um, I kept thinking like Liz Taylor. She she looks like Liz Taylor, still kind of young Liz Taylor. She wasn't into the uh, <coughs> exploitation stage of her career. Um, not quite yet. And like she has emotional scars, which are not shown, but she she doesn't. And I get the idea that she's supposed to be like a high class call girl, I I suppose, but. I feel like there would be a more physical trauma or there, there would be, there, there, there would be something a little bit different there. It feels like it, it's one of these movies where a movie star is playing. And this may have been the pioneer for the, the hooker with the heart of gold role that won a lot of Academy Awards Yes, like, for many years. Um, and, you know, and so again, that's if 30 years later, pretty woman was also, you know, a very successful movie in, in this regard too, even though I, I still think of Pretty Woman as being not meant to be a realistic movie. It's a bit of Oh, a, not at all. Yeah. No, it's, a, it's a Cinderella, take on Cinderella type of thing in an R-rated comedy context or whatever. But because they were trying to address some, some real issues here with um, the loss and the grieving of her father and her relationship with her mother and then, you know what what had happened to her i i think that i was finding the the more um hollywood-esque glamorous scenes not not as viable i mean they're having some ugly scenes and fights in in public and bars and the controlling nature of lawrence harvey's character do you think we're supposed to like him and root for this relationship to to work out 
or I I don't think so. I think it's meant to be tragic. Yeah. I mean, and, I mean, his poor wife. I, yeah. I just, well, there, well, there's all of these these side characters where I I just don't understand why they are still still putting up with him. You know, or yeah. yeah. <laughs> up with these situations like it lawrence harvey's character in butterfield eight is a total cad mm -hmm. he's and this is something you saw quite a bit in the 60s yeah uh, and it makes me it reminds me in some sense of like the british kitchen sink some of those british kitchen sink dramas like the angry young men of the 60s mm -hmm. that are just you know brooding and and my life has no meaning and self-destructive and all of that and and so his character kind of gives me a little bit of that mm -hmm. he's married has a six you know he's successful work-wise but he's miserable mm -hmm. and he won't just leave his wife he won't commit to anything really yeah and he's kind of he's kind of holding everyone around him almost hostage to his moods and one day he's here and the next day he's there and he feels this really strongly and then he feels that really strongly and he's it, it's a very it's not a very likable character and i don't think you're supposed to like him so much i just wondered if it, because it's elizabeth taylor and lawrence harvey if the marketing and, and they were trying to suggest this is a romance of some kind. And right. I kept having this feeling like, like given the story, this is not, I mean, they don't go there. Like I probably would have been spitting mad if we'd had a happily ever after type of yes. thing there. So I'm least <laughs> there, but it was, it was such a silly way for, again, spoilers for, for Taylor's character to die. I, I just, <laughs> it, it was so dumb. I mean, <laughs> I was just like, how stupid were the, these characters? I mean, oh, just like it wasn't thinking. Oh my gosh, what a deep tragedy! I was just like, how stupid are these people that I spent <laughs> the last couple hours with? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, you've experienced the reviews are be edgier now. <laughs> They'll be less nice for the seventy on this one. <laughs> a, a bitter Gene Siskel type. <laughs> Butterfield Eight brings this out of people, so I think so yeah, yeah. You don't have to feel bad. I don't regret my time that I spent watching it, and it'd been one I was curious about because I, yeah. I knew I didn't know the full story, but I knew that she was really unhappy about something to do with this movie. She I thought it was it. A, I thought it was a thing where just the the director annoyed her or whatever, but no, it was because what the studio was doing to her you know i'm glad selfishly i guess maybe you know maybe it was for the best that she got to keep keep making movies for decades after this she she did some amazing work after i can't imagine who's afraid of virginia wolf without her in it um right, so i'm glad she continued to make movies after this it's too bad like the again the can the studio control that even somebody who was the number one movie star of that time was forced into doing projects that she really didn't want to do. Um, yeah. And then just one other kind of weird fun fact. I, I don't know why this is a fun fact, but uh, apparently uh, uh, that year's Academy Awards, that was the only time 
that the best actress and supporting actress winner were, were both people who have played uh, sex workers because Shirley Jones won um, for uh, Elmer. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that was another one where I kind of think Janet Lee should have won for Psycho, but you know, that was, you know, Academy it Awards. Happens. So, yeah, it happens. And <laughs> maybe that one was just a little bit too dark, but yeah, they were willing to, uh, to move into, I mean, it was kind of the start, but it was still, the sixties was still mostly a decade of musicals winning, winning awards and kind of, still feel good movies but this was maybe a if this was a step towards the point where we had midnight cowboy and yes. stuff we started to get in in the 70s and things, things are getting edgier sure sure, sure. I, I i'm willing to, to give it that so yeah now hagsploitation but we've <laughs> had nothing to do with hagsploitation at all but for our listeners who are like wondering okay for episode 70 Jason, you have something called exploitation as your theme. <laughs> How would you define exploitation? Uh, I would define exploitation as films, oftentimes thrillers or horror films, or things that have kind of a, a, a psycho, a psychological bent to them, but not always, where we have our our primary character either a protagonist or an antagonist that is a middle-aged or beyond woman and they're all these monstrous qualities of an aging woman they're unstable they're delusional they're lonely and desperate and starved for love and <laughs> it's I love hagsploitation. It's one of my favorite subgenres <laughs> and always has been. And now that I'm entering middle age, I it's even funner to watch. <laughs> 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 <Films. No. laughs> I think, you know, there's there's oftentimes an element of camp to them. A lot of times these performances are are very over the top, <laughs> which I love. I think I talked about this. I don't know with who at some point there's an element of films like this, whether it's exploitation or, or the films where, you know, the woman is crazy and she's, you know, watch out. She's coming for you. This unstable woman. I love this stuff. And I think part of it is it's so opposite to how I am. I'm very, I'm not a super uh, emotionally reactive person. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> there's something very cathartic about watching somebody lose it on screen yeah. in a way that I would never allow myself to do. But <laughs> you see some of the performances in exploitation films and it's just, oh, I just love it so much. I think it's so much fun to watch. So, yeah, and, and they are big, and that might be, when we start talking about it, a little bit of a block for me. Yet I, I'm i willing to, like, go along with some pretty big performances at times here, but it was just the fact, that, like, I I had not heard this term before, and uh, and, then, and then, of course, it was brought up in relation to, to Taylor's uh, performance there. Um, and I think, yeah, it's just a really interesting dynamic. Um, that, that, 
that felt like the you've got the ingenue years as an actor, but then once you hit 40, um, then the roles either dry up and then we're doing like missing persons alerts for, and I'm regularly saying this when I'm reviewing movies from the 90s, where's this actor? Where's that yeah. actor? Because they got so much work in the 80s and 90s and then suddenly we, we don't hear from them or sometimes we do hear from them years later but it's in like kind of walk-ons or what i have to wait wait for people to to like that decade again before some of the the actors Sherilyn fenn for example yeah for a long time and then she showed up when there was that new twin peaks series that david lynch did and um there's so many examples of this but then there's kind of this this phase where you're either playing um a grandmother or just before that, you are playing like this, um, you know, for lack of a better term, like almost a psychotic character. Yes. Who's just so over the top. Um, and, and yeah, I just, I just hadn't thought of it, but it's, it, and there are, maybe there are some people out there who act like this. I, I, I don't know, but I just, <laughs> I, I, there's lots of people who probably want to act like this and <laughs> right. let everything out and just completely <laughs> gave in. And <clears throat> But I, I, I feel like the, <clears throat> maybe the messaging is a little bit about, okay, well, I guess you're, you're at an age where nobody wants you anymore. <laughs> so you might as no, well and just yes. get rid of the mask and just be as crazy as you want to be. This right? is, and that's, that's what I think makes this subgenre so fascinating. Yes, yeah. Is you know this idea that a woman of a certain age is no longer sexually desirable is you know should be ready to go retreat to her rocking chair and her cats and you know like this idea that you should just fade away and disappear like and the characters 50 in years film, old they're not even not 50 here. yes <laughs> there's that too there's and that the ages of the characters you know <laughs> what <laughs> well it's just i get in the 2020s lens where i i i feel like the world's moved beyond this kind of notion, which is, thank, thank goodness. I mean, you know, but, but has I, it though? I don't know. Well, yeah, right? okay, yeah. like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. I, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Well, I guess wasn't there some things have you know, improved. Martha Stewart had come out and did uh, some Sports Illustrated thing, and yeah, she did her a hard time about that, or yeah, you know, or you'll, you know, you'll see someone like. Uh, you'll see an actor, someone like Meg Ryan, or, mm -hmm. you know, who in their youth was held up as this everybody's sweetheart, gorgeous, yeah. you know, people's most beautiful women kind of situation. And, you know, and then they hit a certain age and Hollywood doesn't know what to do with them. And and then everyone's scrutinizing their pictures. Has they have work done? Did she have plastic surgery? You know, all of those, yeah. you know. So yeah, it's still there, yes, big time. It is still there. There, there has been some progress. Days. Yeah. But mm -hmm. but it's still definitely a thing. But is it still, yeah, I mean, there's this this notion of 
trying to eternally look young, but we don't see them, you know, knife wielding and oh, like, like, yes, like people with <laughs> clinical diagnoses don't act the way that the characters in these movies, yes, so, <laughs> this is pure entertainment, yeah, and and. And maybe that's what I should do is sometimes I run into this. I'm taking the movie more seriously than I need to. And we'll, we'll, we'll see as we chat about this. So I, I, when we originally were looking at this, I think we were brainstorming up to six movies. And then I said, I want to try out this new format. How about we do it this way? We each pick one. So as my guest, why don't you mention the movie that, uh, that you picked first? And we can review that one. And then I'll, I'll share mine. Yeah, so I I picked one that I haven't ever had the chance to talk about on a podcast before, so I was excited about this opportunity. And it's an interesting one. It's Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. (laughs) Try and understand. I really loved you. What's so impossible about that? It's not very often we have a homicide and never able to find the victim's head and hand. Where do you suppose I keep them? Haven't you guessed? In here? A memento of my sinful romance? My lover's hand? People who are obliged to live alone have a habit of creating company for themselves. I think she never fully accepted John Mayhew's death. John! Sometimes she speaks of him as if he was still alive. Don't turn on the light. It's not real when it's light. directed by Robert Aldrich who I always forget about him Mm -hmm. and when I look at his filmography it hits me in the face every time it's like this guy did uh, whatever happened to baby Jane which is one of my favorite hagsploitation films one of my favorite films it might have been a list of six if we had done six I think yes absolutely very much a companion piece to this one definitely I, I, I still haven't watched it so that's you know, oh you need yeah. to, I, you I need to do yourself it. a favor yeah he did kiss me deadly sodom and gomorrah which probably no one else cares about but i grew up with sodom and gomorrah and i love i love it if there's such a thing as biblical a biblical trash movie it's sodom and gomorrah and i nice i think it's great uh he did the dirty dozen the longest yard great director i always forget about him but he's made all he made all these movies that I love. And <laughs> Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte is, is kind of a companion to 
baby Jane in a lot of senses. This was supposed to co-star Joan Crawford Mm -hmm. and Betty Davis again. They loved each other. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan Murphy knows that. (laughs) Yeah. Hellish back kind of the production of this was a nightmare. All these delays, all these rewrites. One of the writer left, they had to bring on someone else to come in and do rewrites. Joan Crawford was ill that whole summer in and out of the hospital with pneumonia. And they ended up having to get rid of her and bring in Olivia de Havilland, who is incredible. Betty Davis had some contractual stuff that ended up going into legal proceedings. It's a crazy story behind the scenes of this film. And this film is crazy. Mm-hmm. It's got kind of this Southern Gothic, which mm-hmm. I love sensibility to it. It's got Betty Davis going full bore. Just. She's just chewing the scenery Agnes Moorhead also in this chewing the scenery, a very different type of, of middle-aged character. It's, it's just, this film has this whole psychological angle. It has this murder mystery angle. It has kind of a, a crime caper and an investigation. It's got all these different elements that I think all come together to make this charming little exploitation southern gothic gem <laughs> i just love it so much <laughs> and so this was the other one where i really do feel like the story behind the scenes may be more interesting than the movie itself it yeah and i i guess because of you know and i i always kind of heard it is one of the one of the great horror movies of the 1960s of that, of that decade. And I, I just heard such great things. So I probably, the problem is I, I came in with high expectations mm. and it didn't meet those expectations, but there's a lot of really good things in here. Then there's some other things that were just kind of driving me nuts. <laughs> I can't wait to hear all about it. Lay yeah, it off I mean, you, Jason. So, I mean, we we start off with, and I thought, well, like, when we get to it, it's like, okay, now I get why this was the one that, like, people were, were so horrified. But the opening is very interesting. There's a few technical things that kind of go wrong in there. But um, early on, we see young Bruce Dern. And there's something about Bruce Dern. I'm just always happy to see him in a movie. Um, and he's, you know... He's carrying on this relationship with Charlotte, and he's he's talking to her father, and um, uh, who doesn't approve of this because he he's married, right? And and then you kind of find out that there's been this interference, and his wife has has, has talked to the father and everything, and so then while this big party is going on, um, Bruce Dern breaks up with with Charlotte, and. Then there is this gruesome murder that happens in front of ev- pretty much everybody who is like the the elite uh, of this town, um, and 
the, the murder is graphic. I mean, it's it yes. is, for that time, limbs are off, and we have spo spoilers uh, for this really old movie, but we have a de decapitation, which is, and I was just like, yeah, all right, now you know, I, I, I'm getting it. Now we're now we're sort of getting into the rhythm of it, and you know, I can I can roll. I can relax a little bit. I don't know what that says about me. But, um, oh, with this, but you know, I'm like, well, spoilers. We've lost Bruce Dern for the movie, and I really like Bruce Dern, but um, and uh, just uh, just a really amazing kind of opening and, and last moment uh, in that opening, which is, I think that wasn't this the one that had the advertisement that you should not go to this movie if you're late by 15 minutes or am I thinking yeah I, I think so yeah if you miss yeah. the first 15 minutes you should not be admitted into the movie now and you know and I I get it um but then then we kind of get into and we flash forward to me and not many years into the future but uh, but it's it's into the future and you know I, I don't think Betty Davis's character is really that old but she is basically this <laughs> gun wheeling spinster who's trying to save her childhood <laughs> home <laughs> and they're they're going to tear it down no matter what and we are just seeing this outlandish behavior and like really over the top from one of the great film actors of all time and i guess that's maybe where again betty davis and the expectations with betty davis and i, I knew that this was kind of a, a different time for her career i i was having so much trouble for the next section of the movie until Olivia de Havilland shows up, which I know there's supposed to be some shots where you could actually see Joan Crawford, uh, that, mm. that, you know, right. The, they didn't get a chance to read something like that. De Havilland actually brings the story down to mother earth for a while. <laughs> and <laughs> I think ultimately for me, gives the best performance in the film, even though the circumstances uh, of the film later on and leading up to, a, you know, I think pretty good plot twist. Uh, maybe, you know, I saw it, I kind of saw it coming, but I mean, you know, but, and again, I wasn't, I didn't know all the details of the story. I, I've tried to keep myself, you know, unaware of all of that. She starts to go really, really bizarre too, towards the end there. But, uh, I, I like that performance. <laughs> Agnes Moorhead is talk about chewing the scenery too. She got an Academy Award nomination for this, and she's basically the housekeeper. Yes. And we're kind of letting to believe one thing about her, and there actually does ultimately end up being a few more layers to her character than I gave her credit for. But I was annoyed by her performance too. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was just like, oh, when, when can she exit the movie now? <laughs> Joseph Cotton, uh, I mean, one of the greats, Citizen Kane and everything. He's in there, and until some things happen kind of in the third act, I'm like, what on earth is he doing in here? And, and his <laughs> performance to me is very uneven. Some scenes he seems okay. Other times he's this southern caricature. Which yes. is, I could see him acting, and I don't know if it was the fact that you know everything that was going on behind the scenes, or he felt he had to keep up with Betty Davis and and some of the other theatrics that are going on 
left, right, center, but I it was, you know, I like that act. I, I, I don't remember kind of ever saying that Joseph Cotton had given a bad performance. And I, I thought when the plot twist happens, okay, maybe that's why, but I still don't think I had a, a great explanation as to just from scene to scene why his performance is the way that is. I mean, it, maybe it's the victim of editing or the victim of, of everything else that went on there. Sure. A performance I kind of liked is, and I like this actor, Cecil Kellaway. Yes. Um, yeah. As that, that journalist from London who, you know, is really interested in, in, you know, finding out some things about Charlotte because saw her when she was young and she was shipped off to leave the country. So she wasn't up on murder charges or something like that. I, I don't know. <laughs> and, and <coughs> he spotted her once as a young reporter in London. And now he's, he's come over and he's trying to find some way to, to interview her. And he's kind of finds himself in the middle of this. Um, I really liked what he was doing in it. Yeah. Um, he's one of my favorite characters. Yeah. I love, he calls her his, he calls Charlotte his favorite living mystery. Yes. Yes. I love it. All of his scenes have a real charm to them. Yes. So I, I guess I'm left with, and maybe I'm a little bit guilty of being like a bit of a story guy and a bit of a, an actor critic and like everything else, because there's some amazing, like the cinematography here and there's a, a dream sequence, which is amazingly shot. It's my favorite scene in the whole yeah. film. <laughs> That's a good, good scene to have your fa as your favorite scene. So cinematic. And I think it would have just blown people away back in the day because I, I still think it, it works really well visually. So they're all, they're all kinds of highlights along the way here. The point where I, I want to like the movie. And when we get to the kind of the, the darker plot twist and what's actually happening, I thought, Oh, here we are. The third act is going to save the movie, but then does it? <laughs> does it really? And this will go back to the horror idea. Was this a scary movie for me? No, but am I desensitized? And would I have found this a scary movie if I saw it in the 1960s when it came out? I still don't know. I probably would have been off put by the violence at the beginning, but I don't know outside of that sequence, if there's anything that's really that scary, are we supposed to be scared by Betty Davis screaming and yelling and <coughs> having, having different, you know, right. Like, at different moments. And, you know, uh, am I supposed to be scared by what's ultimately being done to her? Um, I find that like, it's, interesting enough but is this what would i other than the one scene would i label this as a horror movie maybe not i i might level I, again that southern goth gothic melodrama i think works a little bit better than the horror works movie. better i i think i would call it a psychological thriller yeah except did, did you get the thrill out of the thriller from it i mean, I mean not not like some other films but I think it, it, it kind of, it, this film kind of straddles the fence on a couple different things, yeah, I think. I so. And yes, like the melodramatic quality definitely lends itself to kind of like a, a Southern Gothic melodrama. I think for the time, I think there's some of those 
those thriller elements, especially when you bring in the psychological stuff that they're doing to Charlotte to try and get her committed. Yeah. Spoilers. That's the big skirting around that twist a little bit, but yeah, that's that. That's the thing is that we, we, we are meant to, I didn't for a moment buy that she was what, how she was being portrayed, you know? Um, Yeah. To me, that was, uh, yeah, that just was, that, that wasn't making sense. And again, I was, when you have a prominent actor like Joseph Cotton sitting there disappearing from the movie for a while, then he shows up conveniently for random scenes. I'm like, they're going to give him something to do eventually. I mean, but De Havilland, what a good performance. Because, oh, it's great. You know, I, I think if I was to be not anticipating the twist, I would be completely because of how good her performance is <clears throat> leading up to that. After that, like when she starts to turn the way she turns, then it, that, that scene um, in, in the car, supposedly with the body, that, yeah, that, then it was almost like they'd switched. <laughs> she, was, she was giving as nutty a performance as I've seen from right. the US, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. The the film, early on, when we're introduced to Charlotte's cousin, Miriam, Mm -hmm. played by Olivia de Havilland, there's this big contrast. You've got Betty Davis as Charlotte, who's dressed too young for her age, kind of old-fashioned, like she's kind of stuck in a style Mm -hmm. she wore when she was young, but now it's 40 years later. And so she still wears these kind of flouncy, frilly dresses. And she wears her hair in an old-fashioned style. Olivia to have, you know, and she's kind of disheveled and hysterical. And then Olivia de Havilland shows up as Miriam, and she's dressed for the decade. Yeah. <laughs> she's wearing contemporary 60s fashions. She's very calm. She looks very youthful. And there's like this great juxtaposition between the two, the woman who's stuck in the past and crazy and the, the modern woman who, you know, is, is we're supposed to look to, to save the day and, Mm -hmm. and to be kind of this rock. And (laughs) the further on her schemes and plots go, the more erratic she starts to become. And yeah, the performance gets kind of turned in that she becomes a little more unhinged. She's like unglued. Yeah. It's interesting. But, but it suddenly, oh, it's out there. So I have to seem as evil as, as yes. when you've kept it together like this. I, I yeah, I just, again, I'm, you know, and we've seen so many examples of this, you know, we, we yes. watch the movie and then when the, you know, the betrayal happens and then all of a sudden it's like, well, how did we not see this coming? Because this person's a, a mustache twitching absolutely for the absolutely. rest of the movie and again that's just i guess the con- yeah, a bit of a convention there and i've accepted some movies that are like that before so why am i giving this one a hard time i don't know but um and i think it's like may- maybe which led us into this exploitation area is that maybe it's just i need to i need to embrace the dramatics of it and just kind of sit back and relax and enjoy it and not be as critical of, of what I, 
what I'm seeing. Yeah, I, I just I, and and maybe some of the stuff, you know, to make it a little bit less of a horror movie, or maybe Betty Davis didn't like the idea that she'd be in the horror movie. Maybe I don't know how much how many like her demands connected to this. If they scaled that back and then they made it a little bit more the psychological, so she could say, well, it's actually a drama about this this unfortunate woman and sure stuck in the past and and the big part is like her relationship with her father yes is interesting because i mean her father isn't i don't think all that he's controlling and he is not he's not very nice to her in in, no the opening sequence at all but yet she's so committed to saving her father's home i like the last scene uh and but i yeah I liked about, and I've, I've talked about this before. I've the small town dynamic is, is something I really like in, in 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 movies, and we have those those women that are gossiping. Everybody's like right on the you know the front yard of the house and uh, being taken off, and like I I just like that. Okay, this is going to keep going for this town forever and ever, and they've. Nothing better to talk about than, than this woman and and what happened. We didn't talk about Mary Mary Astor. Mm, yes. Yeah, and 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 so she uh, she's was Bruce Stern's wife. I, yes. Yeah, and and so she's still in the town, and there's there, there's some stuff kind of looking one way, like. Uh, like Charlotte's been threatening her or uh, that like she has some really nice scenes too. And it was kind of nice to see her in the film. And I kept thinking about like how many legends are in this, this movie, you know, and and the next movie we're going to be talking about silent movie era stars. And this was, you know, uh, is nice to see. I think this was, this was her something like it was her last film role, but there was a movie that came out after this that she'd shot before Mm. But yeah, I was. Uh, there's not many scenes, but the, I, I enjoyed those ones as well. And Every the, scene she's in, she's great. Yeah, De Havilland has that scene kind of early on when she's in the town, and uh, and then the the British journalist is kind of looking across the street and watching this interaction happen. Yeah, it's a great scene watching them play off of each other, and yeah. and Mary Astor's character too has it's another facet of how the world sees women of a certain age. Mm-hmm. It's like she's the widow. She's been widowed for like forty years, and she still dresses all in black in mourning. Yeah, she's going around. <laughs> and she's got that her driver or whatever there. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah, taking care of her. It's and when some stuff comes out towards the end, you know, I think I might have been interested in seeing the movie about that character. Yes, I agree. Like that, that side of the story that that would have been a really interesting arc and an inter- and in its way it, it could probably qualify as hag exploitation as well absolutely um, but she's not she's not screaming in the streets kind of causing uh, you know people to uh to believe the things that are the rumors that are out there about about her but yeah yeah so i mean i don't know i don't know if it's one of the most famous betty davis performances but I, I don't think it's her best performance by, you know, not by a long shot. No. And I'll, I'll say this too, you know, for me, as much as I enjoy this film, it 
it will always live in the shadow of whatever happened to baby Jane. Yeah, I, I've heard that's the better of the two. And and I think for me, Betty Davis's performance in this, there's no topping. If you're gonna do a hag exploitation film, and it's and you're gonna put the horror, you know, really lean into the horror mm-hmm. of you know of this monstrous, crazy, psychotic woman, Charlotte can't hold a candle to baby Jane. And so as as great as Betty Davis is, I do find that as much as I enjoy this film, that I I'm I'm forever comparing it to whatever happened to baby Jane. Well and it, it would have been compared because yeah. it was a a follow up and Yes. I mean it it was interesting that they were willing to do I mean they're they're different stories, but uh but just kind of a similar type of uh idea there i mean I, and i don't know what i mean i don't know what that says about the options for the first title for this uh, was going to be whatever happened to cousin charlotte that's right yeah they were going to lean really hard into that yeah yeah i think it was betty davis who was objecting to that she didn't want it to sound like a sequel or be a yeah good call know. yeah and the, i mean there were still the comparisons and to this day but it's still but i almost feel like okay as soon as um joan crawford was out of the picture betty davis had a great time making this <laughs> that was everything I read. like I mean, Ulrich must have really not got on with with uh joan crawford too because it sounds like he was celebrating and toasting with you know with, with davis when when he right you know, gave her the news or whatever um you know, and I think he there's some story that he went and uh, Olivia de Havilland was living in Switzerland and he, he traveled to Europe and <laughs> went on some sort of goat path or something to find like this isolated place he was living to beg her to do the role or something. So he was willing to go the distance to yes. replace Joan Crawford, <laughs> which for all her talent, and she was extremely talented. Oh, she was also, you know, I mean, she was difficult to work with by all accounts. So and I'm sure they all had their moments. Of course. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and that's something we're definitely going to talk about as we get into the next film. Yes, indeed. Was there anything else you wanted to say about Hush Hush? <laughs> no, I'm just so happy you got to experience it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, again, my first first crack at it. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'll see it again. And maybe I'll see it with, if I'm just watching it for fun. You know, this is fun, but I always feel like I need to prepare notes and I have to. No, absolutely. Well, you got your podcasting hat on, you know, yeah. we'll get more analytical. Yeah. And if I'm just watching it, okay. You know, I feel like watching this on a Saturday afternoon. Um, then maybe I'll be like, okay, I, I regret my review on my show about this. <laughs> Sometimes happens. Uh, you know, but I always say like any given day, any given moment, you know, might have a different experience. I, I used to believe that, okay, yeah, this, this is how I feel about now is how I'm always going to feel it for the next hundred years or whatever I live. This is the one and only opinion that it counts. Um, no, it's not how it goes. It's not how, no, it's more complex than that. So (laughs) absolutely, right right now, you know, it's, it's, it's a close one, but it's, not, I'm not completely sold on Hush Hush, Sweet Charlotte, but uh, 
they don't need my help because it's 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 considered a classic and so it is yeah i'm not i'm not going to be changing that tonight <laughs> all right so we're on to my choice now i i would say we're i my my, my friend larry of rank and review so maybe i'm just going to sprinkle in the uh the podcast shout outs here um, no, please do you know and and he deals with a lot of genre cinema and horror cinema and and he's made the argument with me that if you break it down, every movie that's made is actually a horror movie. Um, mm. You could actually find a spin on it, but I wouldn't necessarily say as far as the hag exploitation being connected to horror, but definitely psychological. I sunset Boulevard. I I'm talking from the bedroom of Norma Desmond. Don't bother with a rewrite, man. Take this direct. Ready? As day breaks over the murder house. Yes, you'll read the big black headlines about Norma Desmond and this Hollywood scandal. But you'll never read the true story about the rest of us who were part of it. Me, for instance. Joe Gillis, a promising young writer from Dayton, Ohio. And Betty, that nice kid I met at a Hollywood party who knew nothing about me, but knew what she wanted. Don't you love Artie? Of course I love him. I always will. I'm just not in love with him anymore. What happened? You did? Well, we should have lived happily ever after, like they do in the movies. But this was different, because this is a Hollywood story about the people who make the movies. The little ones that you never hear of, like Betty and me. The great ones, like Cecil B. DeMille. All those who knew Norma Desmond, a strange woman who left her mark on all of us, who crossed her path. Has it ever occurred to you that I may have a life of my own, that there, there may be some girl that I'm crazy about? Who? Some car hop or dress extra? What I'm trying to say is that I'm all wrong for you. You want a Valentino, somebody with polo ponies, a big shot. What you're trying to say is you don't want me to love you. Say it. Gloria Swanson, one of the great personalities of this generation in a role that comes to an actress once in a lifetime. Rising to the heights, William Holden creates a startling portrayal. And a new star is born in Sunset Boulevard, Miss Nancy Olson. Joe? Where are you? What's this all about? Why don't you come out and see for yourself? The address is 10,086 Sunset Boulevard. Yes, come out to see for yourself the film that reaches a new milestone of dramatic daring. The film that every critic says is a giant among motion pictures. Why did I choose this one? I, I was it was between this and a you know a more 
still an older, but not, a more contemporary film than this. But I, I wanted, first of all, I hadn't seen it. And I, I'm a Billy Wilder fan. And I, I just feel like this is a huge blind spot for me. And looking at the exploitation options on there, I thought, okay, well, let's uh, let's give this one a try. And I, I was prepared for anything. Yeah, uh, everybody's been right for the history of this movie. <laughs> this is a great movie. <laughs> this is a great movie, and I, I, I might go as, so far as to say that um, Gloria Swanson gives one of the greatest film performances of all time in Sunset Boulevard. But for those who, who don't know the story, again, dr directed by Billy Wilder, still pretty early in his career, it's essentially there's a, a screenwriter uh, played by William Holden, who's an actor that I've always loved. And it was kind of interesting to see a young, a young William Holden in here. And he's he's got some financial problems. And he, in a situation where he's trying to save his car from being taken by these these goons and he just drives up into this what looks like in an old abandoned hollywood mansion on sunset, sunset boulevard um and he has stepped into uh a trap that he doesn't realize is a trap yet and he uh he encounters an aging silent film star and at a house that is seemingly empty except for a very faithful butler, played by Eric von Stroheim, which I found just chef's kiss on that casting and, yes. and everything. Um, and and then once uh, this movie star, uh, Norma Desmond, uh, finds out that he's a writer, she's put together this script, which is going to be her big comeback project. Um, and so she would like him to look at it um, and she's willing to pay him uh, a significant amount of money to just make some suggestions and, and look at some rewrites. And what develops is a really interesting romance power dynamic, which I think for that time in Hollywood, even for the time we're in now, we have a situation here now where we have a very powerful older woman who is controlling a young handsome man how many movies and stories have we seen where we have an older powerful man who is controlling a young beautiful woman i love the dynamic here and how her control over him you know really starts to impact his creativity and his career because he still has this desire to be a writer and he has this idea and he's had this kind of negative encounter with this uh script um assistant uh and and then she keeps thinking about this idea that that he has and she starts looking into developing it and they keep having these chance encounters where it looks like with paramount and paramount produced it and they use their studio name in here and there's so much like direct hollywood stuff which is fabulous in the movie um there's a chance that he could get one of his ideas turned into a major motion picture but he has to keep this secret from her because again his he he is under the control and 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 his life can be completely ruined. Are there some things in here that I might change and some plot contrivances? Uh, for sure, not un, unusual at that time. But I had such a great time with Sunset Boulevard, and I, I've heard lots of people say it's their favorite Billy Wilder film. I'm not sure I'm quite there yet, 
but it, it is definitely up there. And um, we, we have to wait a little while and we wait for good things till, till Gloria Swanson makes her big entrance in the film. And from the moment she enters five seconds in to uh, one of the great last scenes of any movie in the history of cinema, this is her film. Uh, this is another one where when we're talking about the best lead actress award and uh, somebody being being snubbed. And I think they, they talk about it speaking to Betty Davis. Betty Davis was up for All About Eve and Gloria Swanson for Sunset Boulevard. Judy Holiday won for Born Yesterday. They said the, the dynamic of the voting is that the Academy split between those two mm. great performances. And that's why. Neither of them won for, and I've, I I love all about Eve as well, but for my money, like Gloria Swanson should have won all of the awards and prizes from when this came out to agreed. What a great performance. Uh, But the screenplay is great. The direction is perfect. I mean, you know, he, he was there before he became the master of those great Jack Lemmon comedies. And uh, yeah, that's, I mean, this Wilder was one of the greats, and I just the more stuff I watch by him, the more the more evident that is. And William Holden is is very good. I think he's swallowed up as he should be, and how the character should be by how great um, uh, Gloria Swanson is. But he was up for Best Actor. I mean, I, this was one of the ones few movies that was up for all the major prizes that the the year it came out. Um, and I also I need to get her name there. I really like uh, the, the the Paramount script. Uh, who developed Nancy Olsen. Yes. Okay. Thank you. That that's another really good performance because I I mean I think I kind of knew where it was going. And when you know when that romance starts to happen, I that was the only moment where I was kind of going, oh no, no, we're not. Oh, that's so predictable. We're going that way. But I get a payoff a few scenes later. When when stuff goes really bad and when, you know, when Holden turns on her, that makes that whole idea, okay, that their romance, this has a purpose. Everything in this movie has a purpose. Yeah. I'm a fan. So, you know, I've been very, I feel like I've been so negative in this episode to this point. So, <laughs> you're not but it was it. all leading up to this. You're leading up to Sunset Boulevard. So. But I'm ready to hear a different opinion, but I don't, I don't know if I'm going to hear it. I think you're not going to hear a different opinion. No. Now, I love Billy Wilder. He's one of my favorite directors. This Sunset Boulevard is my favorite Billy Wilder film. Yeah. And I and I love everything I've seen by him. So, yes. I would also say Sunset Boulevard if I were going to try to do a top like 10 most favorite films of all time, if I was going to try and narrow it down to 10 sunset Boulevard would be in there. Oh, wow. Probably even crack the top five. Wow. To me, sunset Boulevard is a masterpiece. Yep. I adore this movie. I see. I first saw it. I was in my early twenties and just love at first watch. Mm-hmm. I've revisited it many, 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 many times. Um, I actually, as we're doing shout outs, uh, the now it is now the podcast has now ended, but if you go back and listen, 
uh, the cult movies podcast hosted by Anthony King. Mm -hmm. We did an episode on Sunset Boulevard about a year ago, maybe, and got to really nerd out on it. Nice. But I never get sick about talking about a movie like this. And I have no qualms about podcasting about a movie that I've podcasted about before, especially when it's something that I love. Well, the amount of podcasting you do, I think you're probably <laughs> running into this a lot now. It, it happens every once in a while. And I, not an issue for me. I, this film, I feel like it's, it's one of the greatest movies ever made about the film industry. It's, a brilliant psychological study. It's this beautiful existential exploration. It's a noir. Yeah. It has a gothic horror quality uh -huh. to it. I wouldn't call this a horror movie, but no, there are some definite horror elements. There's tragedy here. There's some comedy here. Yes, the writing is brilliant. It's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Like if you, and you, now that you've seen it, mm -hmm. I guarantee you, you're going to rewatch it. Oh, yes. I will. Easy, oh. Easily. And I every will. time you do, it's like, there's more, all the little rich details in this film. And I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And I love to, as a hagsploitation film, as a, a depiction of a middle-aged woman who is losing it. I think one of the, the greatest things about this film is that, for me anyway, we're supposed, you know, there's this idea that Gloria Swanson's, that, you know, that she's playing the monster. That Norma Desmond is the monster, mm -hmm. but she she's the one that's the most sympathetic. It's like she is, she is, yeah. It's like yeah. there's that sequence to me is and, and then the way it's handled in a lesser film would have been would have been like I, I, because my heart was in my chest watching this for the first time when she goes to Paramount. Oh my god, and, I and tear up mean, every time. Meeting with Cecil B. DeMille and playing himself. You know, and he, it was actually the set of uh, you know a movie he was working on, um, where they where they shot this, and how kind and sensitive they are, and he and he's trying to figure out like why do they why would so the the name uh, the person from the studio who kept calling have called her and 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 got her over here? So he's trying to solve that, but he's also trying to like pay the respects that this is a legend. You know, there's no future. There's no project. There's no way. I mean, they talk about her being 50. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But 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 then everybody's excited to see her, and she goes into the studio, and she's watching all all this work being done, and that's such a great scene. But she doesn't walk away heartbroken, where like everybody in a lesser movie, everybody like, well, why are you here? There's nothing for you, and they they would just rip her apart and then she would just be destroyed and, 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 and be going back to She, she walks away there feeling like her comeback is on, you know, make, makes it worse. The fact that it's not going to happen and she's not going to be getting that call, but the fact that they're so, so kind to her. And you know, they, they, this remind me, I don't know if you've seen, have you seen Babylon yet? I haven't. No, no. And 
I, I don't know. I, I thought very much um, one of the more heartbreaking arcs for me in, in Babylon, not to ruin it too much, is the Brad Pitt's character arc. But there, there's other examples of this, too, with Margot Robbie's character, too, this, this notion of Hollywood moving out of silent films into talkies. Mm-hmm. And what that did to this whole this whole group of actors who were a a a level actors suddenly couldn't get work anymore. Um, and I, I was thinking about that. Normally, you'd be like watching Babylon, thinking of the Sunset Boulevard, because I'm sure that was very much in in their mind with with all the stuff they were throwing into an, another movie about Hollywood. Yeah, I, I you you feel so so bad for her, you know, but you're kind of like you're you're stuck in this like. A really unhealthy dynamic with her and William Holden and then how that all kind of plays out and and we know early on how some things are going to play out here's one, one thing that I could do without and you can give me feel free to you know since this is a possibly one of your top five favorite movies of all time uh, I won't say that I won't even say I think the the apartment is still my favorite Billy Wilder mm-hmm. film I, I but I I haven't had the time with sunset that I've had with, with, uh, the apartment is a close second for me. I've had, I've had years with the apartment. So, um, we'll see maybe in uh, five, 10 years, I'll, I'll, I'll be feeling a little bit different about it. I'm not sure I needed the voiceover narration from Mm. William Holden at the beginning. And they, they kind of move away from it once they get a little bit deeper into the story, but it, it just felt like a kind of, a and, and I, I guess that's maybe the homage to Noir is in there, but I I wasn't sure it was necessary. It's in the first scene. We're seeing William Holden <laughs> shot dead in a, floating in a swimming pool. I mean, you know, if it was a modern movie, you now we'd probably be thinking, oh, it's all a trick and he's actually, you know, uh, come back from life and there's a big misunderstanding about it. But no, fortunately, it's this is a better movie than that. Um, it is. But we're... We're having, and it's not the only movie that's done this. We're we're having this story narrated by by a dead person. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I needed that. I, I feel like we could have just got the story as is. I don't even mind like seeing the opening the way the way it, it's done. But I that that was early on. I was kind of and it was very much of the time, and got more so as we got you know into into the 60s and a little bit into the 70s where there was a ton of voiceover narration which sometimes didn't need to happen it was kind of filling in exposition when and explaining things to us that we you know probably could figure out just from watching the story um it's not a major major weakness for me obviously because i'm very excited to talk about this movie but that that was kind of a thing early on when i was like oh okay i don't i don't know if i like this part but once we got into it it was like okay i'm loving everything else so yeah that's became a big thing to being in like a minor a minor criticism there yeah i think for me i and i get what you're saying and i i think you're probably not alone i think for me i think what i love about that narration is a i get to hear william holden talk some more Mm -hmm. because william holden had this wonderful wonderful talent for for having that kind of snarky, witty, biting mm-hmm. commentary. He really excelled in roles where he gets to say things that are, you know, clever and and biting and sarcastic. Yeah. And and the dialogue that he's get, you know, not the dialogue, but the narration that he's giving 
definitely plays on his strength for that. And there's some really great lines yeah. that come through that narration. That's, you know, the genius of the writing and then just how wonderful William Holden is at giving you that snark. And I, I that's where I felt a lot of Billy Wilder as a writer was kind of coming out in yes. that because he's got that sarcasm and he would use that of course in his more comedic films as well even though there are touches of absurdity of course in this in this this film that that, that were great but it was you know and William Holden's I mean I almost feel like he's a guy who never got his due completely you know he was yeah, always I agree tw twice he found himself in the best actor category with one of his co-stars where the co-star won won the Oscar he was great in Bridge on the River Kwai, but then Al yes. won the Oscar for that. And I mean, I get that. Um, I, I love him in Network. I love his performance. Peter Finch in Network was so amazing. The, all these guys were given like the performance of a lifetime, and he was in there as solid as a rock, but he was never kind of, you know, the guy to, and then sadly, like in the last few years of his life, I think he kind of had, he, he had his, uh, had his issues for sure but he you know i i kind of prefer him as the the older grumpy mm. uh cynical guy here, here he's almost too young <laughs> he doesn't have that smoker's rasp as much or you know <laughs> when he comes in his he's like destroyed his entire life in network and is just giving right i talking about you know just as truthful about his his reality as possible here he's there and and we we get the convention but his his story almost seems like it's something for a more conventional movie until we until he gets to that uh amazing mansion which is again all the the side trivia it's not actually on sunset boulevard uh it's in uh, i think crenshaw uh area of of la you know um and but what what a great location they found yeah. And if you're going to get the horror movie vibes, it's going to be from this this house. <laughs> and and for a guy like um, who is, I, I I I really feel that for a guy who, to me, in in probably his two best films, he has these amazing New Year's Eve sequences. Yeah, that, that New Year's Eve, like the New Year's Eve sequence. There, there's something amazing. And absurd about it but there's also something that's so sad yes too you know and and i mean she just looks radiant in that scene and like her dress and but uh but then how how everything kind of transpires there but the the emotional manipulation and the you know the the, the suicide attempts and again going back to the apartment there's stuff that's, you know i was it was it was funny how I was picking up on things from the apartment as well. Yeah. But but not, you know, in that case, it was, to me, men manipulating Shirley MacLaine here. Well, you can't leave me or else. There's that dynamic to this day in relationships that, that people have. I mean, that's that's a thing that, that keeps people in toxic relationships together sometimes is is that. And so you're you're kind of like, you feel sorry for her in one moment, but then the next moment you're like, oh, she, you know, this is just to keep him around or so he'll fall in love with her or all, all these pieces. And like, I mean, I, I'm not sure who actually ends up winning in this. Right. I'm not, I I'm mean, not, nobody really, nobody really wins. Uh, right. 
at, at the end, it looks for a little while like like she wins when his final action that William Holden takes to pretty much cut off any idea of this the screenplay being developed and and all of that, and he's just resigned to to live in this. I mean, it, he can get anything he wants, but it is a bit of a prison that he is now in. But he's he's accepted that. That's going to be you know what he goes for. But then. Of course, then it goes into a slightly different territory after that, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's, it's a really fascinating movie with so many layers to it. It is. Yeah, well, and, you know, speaking of that manipulation, one of the interesting dynamics in this film is is between Norma Desmond and her butler. You know, and, and, and she she rules this household. He waits on her hand and foot. And as the movie progresses, we find out just how much of her sheltered, delusional bubble has been crafted and maintained by Max. Yeah. And and how they ha- they have this very long history and the dynamics have flipped. But in a sense, Max continues to be in control. Because he controls the delusion. He's he's helping to keep her in this state of being stuck. And, you know, the studios want her. And she's still one of the great stars of the world. And she just can't handle the reality. And, I mean, she's she's found the successor if something happens to Max. Like, you, you, you could see in a different reality for this film. That's, in fact, that would be an interesting ending, too. But then we would yeah. do this 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 great this great scene where she's putting her makeup in the press and like she she's convinced herself she's on a, a movie set too and the tableau like I mean master oh, class in directing it's gorgeous from the stairs uh, unbelievable and then, I mean we're using like actual Hollywood go- gossip columnists and it was it was such a meta Hollywood film. And from what I could see, I mean, I think at that time and still to this day, there's points where Hollywood seems to have a sense of humor about itself or is willing to. Some some folks did. And clearly, you know, you had like Buster Keaton was in this, like yes, people yeah. participated. Yeah. But there was at the time, there were some people that were really pissed off. Were there? Yeah. Yeah. There's a famous story. I think it was um, Mayor. Oh, Yes got into it with Billy Wilder. I mean, there were some people that were very upset. Yeah. Very angry. Yeah. I, um, I'm not surprised. I mean, it, it, yeah. <laughs> it, it really kind of threw, I think people were kind of living their lives and they weren't realizing it was a little bit of a peek into the behind the scenes of Hollywood. Which yes. We know so much more uh, about what was going on at that time and how you just like use people and then discard them. So I could see that, that what I, most of what I was reading about was how all these great silent movie era stars went to the opening screening and, and mm. some, you know, were in tears and yeah. some didn't, they just couldn't stay cause they were just too emotional afterwards, but they, you know, were, were applauding it and, yeah. You know, Gloria Swanson herself had had her heyday and was, you know, totally the right person to play this this character. And the absolutely behind her. So I think the group that was saddened to see, you know, the art of silent film die off and and move into this modern era, really celebrated this. And I just, it's 
there's parallels. We were starting off with our talk about the the unions and and IA films and, yes. and all these things. And I we we've also talked before about Ridley Scott and and Martin Scorsese sounding like grumpy old men talking about you know uh, superhero movies and 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 all of these other things. But I feel like I'm I'm standing with those folks right now and they're kind of like the silent movie filmmakers that are that are watching at this is like oh yes out here gets it and gets what it's like for us now watching this this industry change and how scary those changes to the industry are and you know it, it is you know it's it's uh, it's there's all of these different moments when television came out they thought that would be the death of cinema Right. Right. So that was a scary time. Um, and when, you know, I think for oh, the whole evolution of the 120 years of <coughs> 110, 120 years of, of cinema, things change over time and it's usually okay. But I feel like whatever we were, are used to, that's what we get worried about. Is this going to be it? Is this going to end everything? And I, I know it just would have been horrible to see like if if I was finding out tomorrow that my job and everybody I work with uh, we were all be out of work and place be replaced by AI ro- robots I think I would be very bitter and I'd be sad absolutely traumatized by it as a lot of uh, these actors were so I think it Billy Wilder and everybody in, involved with this were were doing a service and I think doing a service to Hollywood and to audiences with Sunset Boulevard. And that's why it's an important film well beyond its entertainment quality, which is immense. I think now if I was, was back teaching a film class or something like that, I would now have to include Sunset Boulevard in there for looking at the history of film, but also looking at something that can celebrate a bygone era, but also be a very entertaining film, which... I think effectively mixes different genre, probably to me more so than uh, than Hush Hush, uh, Sweet Charlotte, but or, you know, but, most definitely. But I yeah, you know. it's um, there's still a lot of parallels that make this film relevant. It continues to be oh. relevant, even though it is very much of its own time. It does continue to be relevant, and in some ways, it's even more relevant to those of us outside of the film industry mm-hmm. when you think about like in a way with social media and kind of how everyone has an online presence now yes. we're kind of all exposed to the public in a way that people never were before yeah. we're all kind of norma desmond in a way yeah. she's in her house surrounded by pictures of herself and yeah. and having to face that the world is continuing to change and there's all these images of her as a younger person and when people thought she was relevant and attractive and paid attention and and this kind of this perfect picture and the world is passing her by and she's not there anymore and she's not that age anymore and she's having to reconcile that persona with her reality and she can't do it. And I think in today's world, more and more of us have to reconcile those things as well. It's, it's just really beautiful. It's a beautiful film. Yeah. We all now have a public persona. 
I mean, yes. people always did, but it's broadcast out there for the world. Um, and with the manipulation of photos and stuff, people yes. try to change things and make themselves, you know, appear what, what they feel is like society standards of, you know, this is what uh, my best self is or something like that. Right. And anyway, it's just, and I just don't feel like there were, I mean, obviously it was a great year for All About Eve was also out that year, but I, I, I'm not sure that there were always great rules and still aren't always great rules for women. And a role like this is, is, is something special. I mean, I think All About Eve is probably one of Betty Davis's best performances as part of a, an amazing ensemble yes but this i it, it's rare i see a lead female performance from this era which has the levels that can be that she gets to play and the complexity it, it was a gift of a role and she takes full advantage of it and yes there are moments that are big but unlike in in the previous review i i felt like her performance was completely in control each scene had an intention. There was a, a reason she was doing everything that she yes. was doing to try to get what she wanted, but she was still kind of um, a little bit delusional and appeared crazy, but I think she was also quite smart. Um, and and poor Charlotte, and again, a different character in a different situation and life circumstance. She was doing everything to seem like the, the craziest person in town. Uh, and... And Davis just kind of let it let it go, be as theatrical yeah. as he could be on uh, on film. And and yet, so so there's some moments in there where I'm like, oh, this is feeling a little bit hammy. I never felt that with uh, one moment with with Boris Swanson's performance. You know, I I love it all, but that's that's the thing I'm for the, this moment in time that I just am going back to is when I want to see one of the great performances of all time. I'm gonna watch Sunset Boulevard because it's just a masterclass in that, that, that line between being just big enough for film, but not to a point where your, your character is not being taken seriously. Yes. Because for us yes. to, to be frustrated and not like her at points, but then have our heartbreak for her in so many different moments in this film, that's something special. I mean, that's, that doesn't happen every day. So. Yeah. It, yeah it's tremendous. It's, it's a singular performance. So I can tell we both hate this movie. And <laughs> as we, as we do, um, and we're again, trying something a little bit different with the points. So historically we'd have an average of 10 points per film. And then you would kind of keep those points, but kind of rearrange them decided kind of to, to make this, we're looking at three films and looking at it uh, where because there's three, the one that you like the most, you would give three to, and then the middle one two, and uh, the one that you think uh, shed from my shelf uh, would would get a one here. So I, it'll be interesting. We'll see if we'll we'll end up with a tie or some things here. We'll we'll have to see here. But uh, yeah. So going in the order that we reviewed them in, uh, do do you have your points here? I think so. So this is I think when we're doing six films. Mm -hmm. It's easier for me to divorce myself from, from how you feel about the films. Cause I figure like it all comes out in the wash. Right. Yeah. And there's so many, you're spreading them. There's a, there's a possibility of spreading them 
differently and and you're less likely yeah. to be sad about <laughs> about what I the points I assigned. You're worried if I'm sad or not. <laughs> this one, this one, the pressure is on because there's there's we're working with less but yes yeah. i think i have it i'm because yeah, i'm just well, gonna go by my i'm giving them my points oh yeah and i'm sorry in advance yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what i want every time you should be okay <laughs> no, i mean i do but I, I i i hesitate less when it's the six films mm -hmm. okay yeah yeah I, I i hear what you're saying yeah but it's okay. It's okay. We're gonna do yeah. this. Yeah, we'll we'll see how this goes here. We'll so, still be friends afterwards. I I don't see a situation where you know, <laughs> I, I, probably if you're mad at me, it would have happened already. So. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll keep trying. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so, so Butterfield Eight, I guess you know, since we're including it in not exploitation, but it was one of three movies that we reviewed. So I'm. Sorry, friend. I'm giving it two points. All right. And then hush, hush, sweet Charlotte. As much as I love it, I'm giving it one. Okay. And then I'm guessing three for Sunset Boulevard. Of course. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think it was very obvious my feelings. <laughs> but it's three. Sometimes it's six, it can get a little bit muddled or some are pretty close here. But yeah, yeah I think you, you kind of had mine figured out here. Um, I was... I was waffling between the, the, the bottom two up until yeah. just before. And then I, I, I revisited my notes and thought about it again. And I just, I, I think I had more nice things to say about our, our middle film than our, our first one. I, Butter, Butterfield eight, I one point two. I, I feel like I, I had one That's scene, fair. one scene to cling on to. And, and that just wasn't <laughs> enough for me. Whereas there were all kinds of like interesting moments, which, didn't completely add up to a full recommendation, but was close to being a recommendation for Hush Hush, Sweet Charlotte. So I gave that one too. And yeah, obviously we both were singing the praises of Sunset Boulevard. And I don't think any of these movies necessarily need our help. Maybe Butterfield 8, just getting people to remember that it exists. That, that, that exists. Yeah. And that some of them will be okay with it and some of them it. will hate it. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean... That's almost more interesting than everybody in having a bit of an indifference. Oh, shrug my shoulder. Right? That was okay. So. That was fine. You know, getting big reactions can can be interesting. So easier math to figure out now. But uh, you know, the big winner, Sunset Boulevard, Butterfield Eight, which of course I don't have a physical copy nor a digital copy of. Actually, you got three tied with Hush Hush, Sweet Charlotte with three, and the rule was with ties, I'd have to, I'd have to get rid of it. I have a, again, it's a digital copy of Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. So we're running into the same thing with the last episode <laughs> where I don't have a, a physical movie to get rid of. So once again, the pressure is on you to come up with something that I need to. to so your do. punishment, yes, which to me is not a punishment, is you need to finally watch Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. We're going to keep going and then we'll, then we'll, then we'll talk about it. <laughs> We'll be able to like trace all of our episodes going forward. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and I think if we'd gone with six, whatever happened to Baby Jane would have been one of the six that we were absolutely we were kind of brainstorming a list there. And I'll I'll tell you off mic the movie that I nearly put in instead of uh, Sunset Boulevard, but I'm really glad I, I put Sunset Boulevard in too. And I think it 
it added some nice variety. It, you know, I think three very different types of movies. Yes. I think two, well, each one maybe have their melodramatic qualities. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm buying the one that I like the most a little bit more. Maybe I make excuses for the one uh, that I, the ones that I like a little bit more there, but, but I, I don't think these three movies could be any more different. Um, other than the fact that they are led by amazing female actors, you know, and yes. it's interesting to me though, you know, the, the billing for Sunset Boulevard didn't mention in my review, William Holden's giving top billing. Mm. He's given ahead of Gloria Swanson. I, I, that says something to me too. And I wonder if that was a studio decision. Um, I don't know if that was a Billy Wilder decision, but. It's really interesting now that you've seen it, dig into the backstory. Of course, there's been tons of articles written about the making of this film. Very interesting. Like Gloria Swanson wasn't the first choice. No, I know. I know. A lot of other people turned it down. There was all kinds. I, wasn't Mary yeah. Astor in the mix? I, I think she was. I think maybe. There was someone. Who was it? I can't off the top of my head. I'm sure I have it in my notes somewhere. Um, there was someone who just adamantly was like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, I so. I on that earlier today, but I forget who that was. Yeah, there was somebody who really didn't want to. I think really missed missed out on an opportunity here. Absolutely. I'm I mean I'm so happy that Gloria Sonson even though she wasn't their first choice when you see just how perfectly she embodies this character who is the complete opposite of how she was in in real oh, yeah. life. She's mm -hmm. acting. This is not Gloria Swanson. No, this is not her herself, you know. No. No. no it is all. an incredible performance. I'm so glad that it was her. Yeah, it's amazing. It may not have been the first choice, but she was the right choice. Yes, absolutely. It happens sometimes. Yeah, somebody from from the list of top five that the studio want or whatever get the role, and then it really doesn't work out, and then they're all scratching their heads. Oh, why? What was that? <laughs> well, you you needed to look beyond. And again, I feel like I praise Quentin Tarantino, and I know you have mixed feelings about him, but. <laughs> every episode of my show here, but he has a much longer memory uh, and a, a, a bigger Rolodex for his films. And yeah. he doesn't, I mean, he does get the, the, the Leos and the, the Pitts and, and, and the people like that in his films, but he remembers people that haven't been thought of by studios in, yes. in years. And he, he always makes sure he brings them. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah. Robert Forster is pretty good. We should have been using him for the last, you know, whatever years, you know. And, yeah. You know, Pam Greer. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. You know, uh, like he he's give these the studio executives the permission to like look beyond the last five years of movie stars. And uh, yeah, it kind of worked it, it worked out for this one uh, for sure for for Sunset Boulevard. So. Uh, again, I appreciate your time. Uh, I, you know, I, I always get sad at the end of our podcast. I'm like, oh, I know. We can talk it's again. always so much fun. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'll, you're you're always welcome, as you know, and as you're always welcome on millions and millions of other podcasts. <laughs> and you're, you're, you're recording tomorrow again for another show, and so uh, anyway, I, um, I I I appreciate it. And I, again, I, we mentioned. Math and Film Feast, um, and uh, mentioned Rank and Review, um, also Schlock and Awe, and uh, Lifetime of Hallmark. Are there any uh, podcasts you'd like to shout out before we uh, we go? Oh, goodness. Well, actually, 
I would love to shout out Film Alchemist. They've had me on quite a bit. I was I did quite a few episodes with them uh, over Halloween. So people who like horror can go back if you missed it in October. You can it's you can have horror all year long if you want. Yeah, nice. And I'm always catching up on podcasts. I mean, I I listen to them <laughs> as I go to work every day. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I was uh, yeah. I, so. And I, I know I'm going to re- reach a point with the ones that I'm always watching where I'm going to, oh, I, okay, I've run out of episodes and I, I want to find some new ones. And, and now because of this podcasting world, I'm hearing about all kinds of, yeah. of, of different shows and like things like Real Early and, you know, um, a lot of these shows that are uh, re- really interesting and creative ways at looking at cinema. And every show has its own bent and its own, you know, level of expertise and I find I I get excited about cinema again and I learn something um from from listening to people and I'm always like I thought I knew something about movies but these guys are just you know it's a whole other (laughs) universe out there that I haven't explored yet so yeah you and me both I think it's one of the beautiful things is that everybody's welcome yeah I I don't think more voices more opinions more perspectives I love that I don't think I've had anybody who's you know or sometimes I'm like hat in hand. Uh, hi, I'm I'm this random guy from Canada, as I did with you. Oh, would you like to be on my show? <laughs> and, you know, yeah, I think most people have been, you know, it's like, oh yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I'd like to try that out, which is really nice because you know, again, I feel like I'm kind of other than my buddy Larry and, I, and the Terror Table podcast, which I'm sure you've heard of. Yeah, in my city as well. I don't know those guys as much, but. Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, but there's not many of us that are doing movie podcasts in my part of the world there. So it's kind of kind of nice to be able to 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 get connected to to uh, to great folks and and start to listen to more more movie podcasts. And again, I just the movies bring me joy when other things in the world are not as uh, not as positive sometimes. There, so yeah. truth. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. That was and, a pleasure, yeah. Jason. Thank you so it's, much for having me back. Thank you. And then my usual sign off, you know, just uh, keep supporting the movies and lots of exciting movies and hopefully uh, more more episodes of this show coming out in the next little while. And again, be safe and be kind to one another. I say it at the end of every show and I, just, I, I, I truly believe it. You know, I think there's more good people than bad people in the world. And we, sometimes all we hear is the negative because that's. I don't know. That's what gets the attention there. But uh, yeah. Anyway, I always, I always get the positive vibes after talking to you. So I appreciate it. Thanks. Oh, so much. Thanks, Fred.